Hello and welcome to Reliance's podcast. We hope that the message encourages your heart today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet weekly on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, or 11 o'clock a.m. And if you want to find out more about Reliance, come check us out online. Father, thank you that that's your truth of your word. No weapon. There's weapons always trying to be formed against us, but in Jesus' name, they shall not prosper. And so, God, take your word, plant it deep in our souls today, deep in our spirits today, deep in our hearts today, that we can know you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to I talk uh, freedom today, and uh, it's, uh, honestly, I want to spend most of our time in communion. So if you did not get communion when you came in here in just a minute, a uh, little bit, not a minute, it won't, it'll be more than a minute, I promise you that. Um, here in just a little bit, we're going to have you guys put your hand up to get communion, but I really wanted to take communion on this weekend um, leading into the 4th of July, and, and I want to talk about freedom, and I want to talk about what true freedom is. We, we love freedom in our nation. Look, we love freedom in our nation. We know that, the, that, that on the 4th of July, everybody gets a little redneck out there, right? Everybody gets a little crazy. I know you, right? We do as well. We get a little crazy. We love to blow things up. I think it's the one holiday where grown men become 16 in the 4th you know, of July tents out there, getting all their firecrackers, getting them ready. And I, I was in a, one of the tents the other day looking at fireworks, and man, it was just like a bunch of kids in a candy store. It was so funny to me. And... Uh, I feel like, I, I mean, even for my own life, how easy it is to get caught up in those things. I consider myself fairly frugal. I like to save money. Like if Christine and I are going to the store, I'm getting the always save version. Anybody else always save? Yeah. Or Shasta pop. We, we don't get the Coca-Cola. We get Shasta, right? It's just what you do. And so, but then something happens on the 4th of July. You get in that tent. Next thing you know, you spent like $500 and then you blow it up in one night. And for like a moment, like, this is the greatest thing ever. And you wake up, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I have remorse for that, right? Every year, every year. It's because we get caught up. Why? Because we want to celebrate our freedom like everybody else wants to celebrate their freedom, right? And it just reminds me so much of just how big, it's like go big or go home when it comes to our freedom on the 4th of July, and we know what Independence Day is. We know it was, it was this freedom from tyranny, and we just, you know, getting away from that. We still have men and women laying their lives down so that we can have that. But, but I believe there's a freedom that's so much greater than that. I believe that our freedom didn't come on Independence Day. Our freedom came to, and we've said it a thousand, our freedom came 2,000 years ago. Like the truest of true freedom. So yeah, there are versions of freedom, but there's one true freedom. One true freedom. And so today, I just real quickly want to walk us through uh, a Freedom 101 class. You're going to get college credit for this, all right? Freedom 101. You're going to be like, I know this. I know this. I've heard this. I know what this is. My question isn't if you know it. My question is, are you walking in it? Because knowing it and walking in it are two separate things, right? So if we know it, I'm going to petition your heart to go, are you living it? Are you walking in it. And, and so let me just set it up this way and why this is so important. Most of the New Testament written by Paul and the apostles, most of the New Testament re- re- uh, letters are written by men who are in prison or men who have affliction or men who are persecuted. And yet almost every one of them is about freedom. So how is it that they're in chains, in persecution, getting the tar beat out of them and their word that they're screaming out at us is, you have freedom. You have freedom. And even in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, they're under captivity with the Babylonians. They're under captivity with the Persians. And there's different people constantly coming in and occupying the nations and occupying the Israelites or taking them away. And yet the word of the Lord is screaming, you have freedom. You have freedom. 
You have freedom. And so there's just something about this. And again, I'm, gonna, I, I'm, I'm believing that communion is going to be a, an unlocking piece for somebody today. Um, Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom. It's for freedom that Christ set you free. He didn't set you free to put you back into bondage. He didn't set you free to put you back into slavery. He set you free for freedom's sake. Mind blown. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Listen to these words, guys. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that if we don't stand firm, there is a reality now that there is a yoke of slavery that we can be burdened by again that's going to come on our life. It's telling us. He's not saying that once you're in freedom, you're free and clear. You don't have to worry about it again. He goes, now that you're free, you're going to have to stand firm in this freedom. Otherwise, a burden is going to come over your life, and it's going to get to your heart to try to get you to yoke yourself to slavery again. This is why this to me is so important on this, this weekend leading up to Independence Day. So let me just say this. Whenever Scripture talks about freedom, first and foremost, it's freedom of the heart. This is why Paul's in prison. He's not free. He's shackled. Paul is in prison writing about freedom because freedom always starts with the heart. Not your situation and not your location. Amen. Yes. Not your situation and your location. Freedom always starts in the heart. And so we know that we're made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. The spirit, Jesus comes in and he sets us free. It says that his spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. His spirit is the guarantee, scripture says, of our salvation. So that's done, taken care of, done. Like, we're in, okay? Where the enemy loves to war with us is in our soul and our body. If our soul is mind, will, and emotions, if our soul is what I think, if our soul is how I process, I'll just call it mind, will, and emotions, if that's our soul, this is where the enemy wants to try to come in and yoke you again by a burden of slavery. Wants to yoke you to, to, to feelings or yoke you to lies or yoke you to whatever it is, trying to divert you away from the freedom that you have in Christ. And then the same thing in the body, the physical body. It's the same way, trying to yoke you down with an affliction or some kind of issue going on in your life. Wants to try to get you to believe that you're not really free. This is where the primary attacks happen is in the soul and the body. Because my spirit goes, Lord, I have hope in you. This is where Paul's going, I have hope in you, yet I'm in affliction. And the affliction is trying to detract me from who I see the Lord to be. So I want to I wanna, I wanna work through that with us just real quickly, and then we're going to take communion. So I want to ask a question, first and foremost, who was I before Christ? Who were you before Christ? Dead. De- okay. It was more rhetorical, but dead. I like that. Okay. So, so before Christ, like before I understood the cross of Christ, before I understood who Jesus was, there's a question on all of our hearts. Who was I? How would I describe myself? Now, we would get various answers in this room, but if we combine them all, we would come to this realization, this is who I was before Christ. I was a slave to sin and the passions of my life, and I was marked by death. There was a time where I was a slave to sin. I was enslaved to it. It's what I did. And it was drawn out of me by the passions and desires of my life. And those passions, desires, and that sin had a mark on me. And that mark was, everybody say death. It was death. It was death. 
this is what I was before Christ. And then something happened. Jesus came in and he does a work in me. He starts changing my heart. That's why Colossians 3, 5, and 9 says these words. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covenants, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Look what he says. In these, you too once walked. It means there was a former way of life in which you walked in these things. There was a time where this was what marked your life. Sin marked your life. Passions, desires marked your life. And because of it, death was the residual thing from it. You too once walked in these when you were living. Look what it says, living. Living in them. You were living in them. But now, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So Jesus comes in, takes the old self off, and now something is beginning to stir in you. There's a renewing of your heart and a renewing of your spirit. So not only did Jesus come in and save us from wrath and judgment, yes and amen, he did that from our sins, but he saved us from ourselves. I want you to get this. He saved us from the passions that try to lure us away from him. The passions that Paul will say will become a master over your life. It's why in Galatians 5.24, Paul says, those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its what? So it's, we've crucified the flesh and it's got something in it with its passions and desires. It's the passions and desires that get us in trouble. That's why James, the book of James says, each one of us, when led and enticed away by our own desires, gives birth to sin. It's why I would contend that actually Eve ate the fruit because she stared at it too long and her passions and desires rose up in her. And this is why I believe we're contending against those passions and desires. And so something's happening. God's moving. He's stirring us into something. And then in Romans 6, 6, he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Listen to this. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So what I'm trying to do is convince you. The language of scripture is that you're not in sin or you're not enslaved any longer. The language of scripture is that God broke something over your life that you were once held in captivity to. And my question today is, why in the world are we still acting like we're in captivity to it? If freedom is the language of scripture, then that he's broken sin and he's broken all these things. And that that the enslavement that we once had has been dealt with. Then what is it or where do I come in alignment in my life to walk in that found freedom from Christ? So... This is what we're working through. And to get there, we're going to have to look back for just a moment, okay? Um, before before uh, uh, Israel was set free from captivity from Egypt, before the Exodus, before Moses led them out, for 400 years they were in slavery. Now, I just want to tell you something. They got there in slavery because of comfortability. Let me, let me, let me say a word on this real quickly. Comfortability does not always mean freedom. Amen comfortability does not always mean freedom. If you remember the story of Joseph, they were living not in the land of Egypt. His brothers getting, you know, throw him into the pit, sold to Egypt through the whole series. You, you've probably heard the story of Joseph, not read it, it's really good. Joseph is elevated up. He's second in command of all of Egypt, just under Pharaoh. 
drought and famine hit the land, the Hebrew nation comes out of their home and they rest in the comfortability of Egypt. There's a problem. Joseph is going to die. That generation is going to die. The Egyptians are going to look around going, we need slaves. It's the Hebrew people. So actually comfortability got them into a place of slavery. Are you receiving that today? Let me say one more word on that, just, just so that we understand that. If God wants to bless us, many times God wants to bless us in the wilderness to increase our faith, instead of blessing us in the promised land to increase our comfort. It's a true story, because comfortability doesn't always mean freedom. In the wilderness, you learn faithfulness. In the promised land, they learned comfortability and eventually fell away. And we see this actually in Abraham and Lot. And Abraham and Lot, eventually, Abraham's going to have his, he's going to get the call from the Lord to go, and he's going to bring his family with him, and they're going to go into the land of Canaan, which will eventually be a promised land, and they're going to look around, and Abraham looks at Lot, and he was his family, he goes, hey, what piece of land do you want? And it says, Lot sees the lush green valleys that's beautiful for raising, you know, sheep and crops and all this stuff. He sees the lush green valleys of comfortability. The problem is it's situated next, next to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Lot finds himself there in that valley. Abraham says, that's great, I'll take the wilderness. So Abraham in the wilderness is raised up in stature and status. God blesses him. And when Abraham comes to call on Lot, he doesn't find him in the lush green valleys anymore. He finds him in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? I heard a guy say this, and it was really good. He said, because comfortability easily drags us into the places we shouldn't be in. Galatians 5.13, Jesus is going to say the same thing through Paul. Galatians 5.13, you were called to freedom, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Rather, through love, serve one another. So, just want to throw that out there. It's comfortability, doesn't mean freedom, okay? So Israel is going to get taken into captivity. They're going to be there for 400 years. And Moses get raised up, and Moses is going to go in, and he's going to demand to Pharaoh, he's going to say, let my people release them, free them, let my people go. And plagues are gonna come, and every plague that comes, Pharaoh's hardening his heart. Ah, oh, no, 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 no. Harden, 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 heart. right? Over and over and over, his heart's just getting hardened and hardened. And so the last one's gonna come, and we read about these in Exodus. But in Exodus 12, God's gonna send his last plague. It's the angel of death gonna sweep over. So here we go, Freedom 101. So God tells the people, take a lamb, take a lamb that's pure and spotless, without blemish and sacrifice that lamb and put the blood of that lamb over the doorpost of your home. And he's going to tell them how to do the meal with it, do a Passover meal with it. And then what happens is the angel of death, if it sees the blood on the doorpost, it's going to do what? I would say Passover. It's going to pass over that home, leave it untouched and go on. This is where we get the Passover from. So, so what happens is they wake up that next morning, death and destruction are all over. Pharaoh's heart is gripped, and he says, go. He releases them. Get out of here. You're free. Why? You're free because the blood of the lamb set you free because the angel of death passed over. Amen. So obviously all of that is a foreshadow of what's to come. The blood of the lamb set you free and you have been passed over. I want you to hear this, and I believe this is important. When they couldn't figure out how to set themselves free, all they needed was the blood of the lamb to set them free. And the same thing is for us today. It has not changed. No one who participates in the blood of Jesus Christ will ever, 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 and has an encounter with the Lord, will ever remain in slavery. 
no one who participates, and takes that in and takes that to heart, Jesus has never found a heart that he cannot set free. Never. He's never found a heart he can't set free. And so what happens is, is we see that foreshadow, and now here we go, Freedom 101, Jesus becomes the lamb who was slain, John 1, 29. It says the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming and said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it's beautiful because what he's doing is he's setting this up. This is where our freedom comes from. And then we see Isaiah 53, 5. We see where the prophetic word is laid out. But he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. We have freedom. So you see this language, freedom and healing and no longer in bondage and no longer enslavement. And so my heart is gripped. Here we are. We're going to blow stuff up here in a couple days celebrating our independent day and our freedom while so many of us are still in chains in our spirit and our heart our soul, our mind. I just believe God wants to set some people free today. Amen? Amen. And so here it is, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 4 through 15. I want somebody to receive this today. Where did all this come from? And the author of Hebrews tells us, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, meaning we're the children of God, we share in communion, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Look at this, that through death he might, somebody say destroy, destroy the one who has the power of death. And I'm going to stop there for just a minute. There was one who had the power of death. There was one who had the power of death. He's going to tell us who it is. There was one who had the power of death. That is the devil. The deliverer and deliver. So Jesus comes and deliver all of those who through fear of death. Listen. Who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. When we were enslaved, when we got in bondage, it's because fear came over our life. And the fear ultimately, when you boil it down, when everybody's fear is ultimately boiled down, it's that we had a fear of death. When you take all of it, disease, sickness, these things that are going on, when you boil all of it down, what is the thing that grips our hearts with fear? It's death. And I'm not just talking about death like I'm dead. I'm talking about eternal death. And so he tells us the reason that we were enslaved, the reason that we were in bondage, the reason that we were locked up in our hearts was because there was a fear of death that was over us by one who had the power of it. Somebody say, but Jesus. That means that Satan had the ability to make death fearful, and that power of death held us in humanity in fear. But Jesus comes along, and we know the deal. He stripped Satan of his power. It says it right here. He destroyed Satan of his power. He publicly made a, a, a Satan shameful in front of all of the authorities on heaven and earth. He publicly shames him and he strips him of his power. He disarms him of his power. He clothes us with his breastplate of righteousness. And now the one who once held power of death over us, it's been destroyed. And thus destroying the power of death destroys the slavery of fear that was over our heads. This is why we're free. Somebody needs to receive this today. That's why we're free. There is a seed. If you peel back all the layers of what you're going through, and this undercurrent is this fear, fear of death. If I know who I am in Christ and I believe in my eternity with him, what am I afraid of? What can man do to me? That's what scripture says. What can man do to me? If God is for me, who can be against me? 
And so when you peel it all down, what you see is what the author of Hebrews is saying. There was a time Satan carried the power of death and he hung that above our heads. And Jesus comes and destroys it. So what is he setting us free from? Freedom. Yeah. Amen. And freedom from, and I'm going to just read through this list real quick because I want this to resonate with some sort. Freedom from condemnation, sin, and death. Look at Romans 1 and 2. Therefore, there is no what? Then why in the world do we walk around with condemnation? Like I say, and I'm, I'm throwing stones at myself. Why does condemnation grip my heart? Why do I walk around going, I'm worthless, I'm no good, I'll never measure up, God hates me, he doesn't like me, I'm so scorned. If the truth of scripture is there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ, then the fear and lie of the enemy, which is all he has now, he has no power, it's fear and lies. It's just to simply get you to condemn yourself. If his power was stripped, and that's what scripture says, somebody say amen, because God's not a liar. If his power was stripped, then what he has is the power of lies and deception and, and, and trying to bring accusation against you. That's the power he carries. But a lie is a lie. It's not truth. And truth always overcomes a lie. So he says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, if death is what you fear, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your, your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Yeah. Church, this is what the freedom of Christ is doing. This is what the freedom of Christ is doing. Freedom from condemnation, sin, and death. How about this? Freedom from the hold of Satan's power. Look at 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Here's what this is trying to do. It's trying to stir your heart that whenever you feel like Satan's power is greater than you, it's a lie and it's supposed to give you the identity that the power of God that's in you is much greater than the power that Satan carries. And we know it, we quote it, we put that one on coffee mugs. Like That becomes a favorite when we wear on t-shirts. The question isn't, do we know it's... Are we living it? Is it part of who we are? So if he gives us freedom from the hold of Satan's power, then he gives us power and boldness to walk in. 2 Timothy 1.7, God did not give us a spirit of fear. He didn't. He just didn't. But he gave us a spirit of what? Power, love, sound mind. Listen, church, this is a big deal because then if you're, not, if, if you're contending and walking opposite of that, if you feel powerless, then is it the truth or a lie? It's a lie because God's word is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. That's what scripture says. So if I'm not feeling that, then, then it's a lie. If I'm not feeling like God loves me, is it truth or a lie? lie? It's a lie. You see what we're doing? We're building a foundation of freedom in our life. And that's why he says in Romans 8, 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. I'm like, God is true so that you live, so that you live in fear again, so that you do not live as slaves, so that you live in fear again. He's like, I don't want you to live as slaves, and I don't want you to live in fear again. I just want to trust God at his word. But remember, everything is contending with my mind, will, and emotions. Everything is contending with what's going on in my body. Everything is contending against these things, and yet God's word is still true. Freedom, freedom to walk 
in a holy and fruitful life. Galatians 5.22. Like, we know it. This is scripture. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You have freedom to live a holy and fruitful life. And so there are times where you hear the whisper like, you'll never be fruitful. You'll never be holy. You'll never, do you guys know what I'm talking about? And so you've got the truth of the Lord going, no, freedom says that I live a holy and fruitful life in Christ. And so we're standing on a foundation of freedom. That's what we're doing. Last two, real quickly, and then we're going to do communion. Um, This might be the big one, man, freedom to forgive. If, If there is one thing I believe that holds us so many times in bondage, it's the ability to, to not forgive or the inability, inability to forgive. L- listen, listen to the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Listen what he says. As we forgive those who sin against us. It's not like, and we should forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our sins as we contemplate forgiving those who sin against us. Forgive us our sins as we measure out if what they've done is worse than, you, should, you hear what I'm saying. So what we see is this, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and do not let us give into temptation but rescue us from the evil one. This is such a big deal. Jesus is gonna give us the, the, the diagram of the Lord's prayer and then right after, that's, that's Matthew 6, 9 through 13 and then in verse 14, he's gonna reiterate one part of that. What part do you think it's gonna be? Everybody say forgiveness. forgiveness. Look what he says. And if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is how important forgiveness is. Now, here's the deal. I want you to hear this. Like some of us in this room, you got trauma. Like people, somebody has hurt you and wounded you. We know this. I'm just going to reiterate. It's 101, right? Freedom 101. It's not forgiving what they did to you. It's not going, hey, you did this to me. It was okay that you did that. That's not what forgiveness is. It's looking at their heart and seeing whose image they were created in. So Jesus, pierced in the side, isn't going, I love that you pierced me in the side. Thank you for that. He says, Father, forgive him for he what? Knows not what he does. He's seeing a heart. When they put the crown of thorns on him and then beat it down with their rods, he's not going, oh man, I'm so glad you're beating me with your rods. That wasn't what he was forgiving. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And on and on and on, all the things that they did to him. It wasn't forgiveness like your actions were okay. It was, I see that your heart is far from me. And so when we can learn to practice that forgiveness and we can see that forgiveness, all of a sudden we begin to find some freedom. Listen, it's ironic that Jesus is going to come and set us free from atrocities towards him. Our sin nature that he had to wear on his shoulders, that he would set us free from that. And then we would go from one form of slavery to another by putting unforgiveness for somebody or our own self back on ourselves again. It's just crazy how the enemy works against us. Um, that word forgiveness, there's a Greek meaning of that word forgiveness, and it stems from the meaning to release. If I release somebody, what am I doing? Setting them free. 
You're setting them free. This is what forgiveness does. It's releasing and setting, it's setting them free. That word forgiveness is to set them free. It's profound, church. And freedom helps us to walk in that forgiveness, not just for others, but forgiveness for ourselves as well. I read this quote, it says, forgiveness is a divine act. No other virtue requires such a great sacrifice of self. It is a conscious choice of vulnerability instead of vindication. But in the sacrifice of self, we find God in, God's embrace. By choosing forgiveness, we refuse to worship our feelings and instead submit ourselves to God's truth. Isn't that beautiful? God set us free 2,000 years ago. He opened up the cage, set us free by the blood of the lamb. And now he says, well, what about us? Last thing, real quickly, last thing, um, and then we're gonna do this together. Um, freedom to receive faith. Everybody say receive faith. As I walk in freedom, it actually builds up my faith. It's all the loud voices that are around you, accusing you, shaming you, taunting you. And this is what the Lord says. He invites you to his table of communion in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is a picture of the communion table of the Lord. This is what he says. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Listen, you anoint my head with oil. You mark my life. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23 is, is actually a foretaste of the communion table that's going to come because of the blood of the Lamb. At that table where the blood of the Lamb is present, which is the truth of God's word, the lies of the enemy cannot overcome it. So he says it. He says, when I sit at this table that you've prepared for me in the presence of my enemies, when I sit at this communion table, whether it's my anxiety or my depression or my fear or my addiction, all these things are watching me at that table and they know they are powerless to bring me down. Because it's at the communion table that the blood of the Lamb set me free 2,000 years ago. Amen. So they sit there and they go, we can't get him or her sitting at that table. So they wait, and they wait, and they try to get us away from the body and the blood of Jesus Christ so that then they can begin to try to get us with their accusation, their lies again. It's nonsense. And the more that we run to that table, God's communion table, the more that we proclaim the body of Christ and the blood of Christ for us, the more that we do that, the truth gets louder than a lie and destroys the enemy's, the enemy's, the enemy's accusation, the enemy's lies, the enemy's weaponized things that he tries to bring against us. It's crazy. So every time we take communion, we're feeding our faith because we know that the blood of Christ speaks a better word. So <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, Paul's gonna give the same word, um, different things, but same word. He's gonna use the word examine. Everybody say examine. examine. If you go in for an examination, they're gonna, they're gonna examine you head to toe, they're going to see what's going on in your body. They're going to see things that are good, and they're going to see things that are not so good. And so in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. Listen to this. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? He's asking, do you know that Jesus is in you? Do you know that Jesus? And then all of a sudden, if I know that Jesus is in me, all of a sudden, what rises up in me? Somebody say Freedom. Freedom rises up in me because Jesus is in me. And this is what he does. The blood of the lamb releases me from captivity. The blood of the lamb sets me free. The blood of the lamb has marked me. 
So he says, examine, do you not know this about yourselves, that, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And then he's going to say the same word in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26, when he's talking about communion. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself or herself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He just said, first examine, then do it. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, listen, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Here, let, me, let me break that down to what I believe this means in some context here. If, if I'm in here and I'm getting ready to take communion and I'm like, Aaron, you're a piece of trash. You're never going to measure up. You're a terrible husband. You're, you're the biggest jerk in the world. And you know what? You don't deserve anything. You are junk, Aaron. If that's what I'm doing and I go, all right, let's take communion. What I'm proclaiming in that moment is this is not good enough, but what I feel is good enough. Or, 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 or on another side, if I'm getting ready to take this and I'm like, I cannot stand that person. That person drives me crazy. I hate their guts. They are not worthy of anything because they've whatever in their life. They've just been a messed up person. They're mean to me, whatever. If I'm looking at them and I go, but this is good for me, do you see the unworthy man? So, so the moment that I'm holding this up, I'm proclaiming that this blood and this body is good enough and redemptive enough and salvation enough and kingship over me enough to set me free from my feelings of unworthiness or that I'm trash or that I don't measure up or that that person has wounded me and they'll never be free. I'm proclaiming that this is better than all that nonsense. I'm proclaiming that. And even though I've got struggles, I come to the table of the Lord. I go, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm feeling unworthy. I, I'm feeling like I'm not enough, and I am struggling to forgive. And he goes, now we can work with that. So you're feeling that way. What does my body and blood speak? And I go, it speaks a better word. And he goes, that body and that blood speaks a better word. So I know how you're feeling, but are you trash? Well, no, your word says that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Faith rising up. Do you, do you, do you measure up? Well, Jesus, I feel like I don't measure up, but I know you measure up, and I realize that Christ lives in me, so therefore I measure up. And he goes, what does that do for you? Faith. And he goes, what are that, ter- that person that has wounded you and hurt you? Yeah, God, what they did was hor- horrific. I could never let that go. And he goes, okay, I get that. It was horrific. It never should have happened. Do you see, though, that that's a broken and wounded person? And will you extend a release to them and let me handle them? Let me handle them. And I go, God, as much as I don't want to do that, I release them because I'm tired of drinking the poison of unforgiveness. It's become bitterness to me. So I release them. You do what you want to do because I know your hand is heavier than mine anyways. Amen? You do what you want to do. And all of a sudden, faith rises up, and it was all at the table of the Lord. So I'm going to invite Matt to come forward, and he's going to play a song. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring some declarations up here. Will you put, yeah. I want you to, I'm going to read through these. And we're gonna, you're going to make declarations today as you take communion. As I partake of this body, uh, I'm sorry, as I partake of this blood of Jesus, set me free from bondage in the name of Jesus. Somebody needs to be set free from bondage. Through the power of the blood of Jesus, hear my cry, break off all condemnation, guilt, and shame. So I'm going to camp out on that one. 
Through your blood, Jesus, set me free from the spirit of anger, fear, unforgiveness, bitterness, rivalry, jealousy, comparison, pride. You see what that dot, dot, dot is? Somebody can insert your own things in there as well. In the name of Jesus. Through your body, Jesus. Through your blood, Jesus. Break every stronghold and lie that has set itself up against me in knowing you. God, I want a deeper revelation. This is the cry. This is the cry of scripture. Oh, that we would know him. Through your blood, Jesus. I want to be free, free in my heart, free in my mind, and in every area of my life. We're going we're to blow some things up in a couple days. We're going to go, ah, Independence Day, 4th of July, and then it's going to pass, and it's gonna, we're going to have to wait a whole other year to do it again. 2,000 years ago, you were set free from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet and from the inside out. I just believe that somebody needs that today. 2,000 years ago, you don't have to wait for the next 4th of July. 365 days of the year, you got to blow stuff up in the kingdom. His dunamis power, His power of the Holy Spirit in your life, it's like TNT. Got the love of Christ in me. There's nothing the enemy can do to stop me. And so I'm going to ask you to make declarations. If you have not got communion in your hand, raise your hand. If you do not have communion, ushers are going to come around. And as you, as they come around and give it to you, I just want you to read through those. And if you need to get on your face before the Lord, the altar is open. I'm going to invite you to the table of the Lord. If you want to come to the altar, you can, or turn and make your, your turn and make your chair the table of the Lord. But in the presence of your enemies, look, fear may be there, anxiety may be there, depression may be there. In the presence of your enemies, in enemies, declare that this is the truth of God's word that sets you free. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray it, and now we receive it. Have your will, do what you do. May your freedom come in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's word. We hope that it continues to encourage you and bless you as you go about your day-to-day. And until then, we will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.